Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Jesus, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive. It's a lamp unto our feet, Lord. It guides us. And this morning, I just pray that you would be with us as we study Acts chapter 9, Lord, that Paul's conversion would speak to us, um, Lord, that we would gain new knowledge about who you are and who we are in you, Lord. And so we just thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to um, read not verse by verse, but kind of passage by passage, and I'm going to start with the first two verses. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And um, what I find amazing about Saul is um, somewhere in, in Acts 22, verse 3, he actually talks about how he was zealous for the Lord. And um, what's amazing is, is that he actually thought he was doing the right thing when he was persecuting what he called the followers of the way, which now are known as Christians, followers of Jesus, uh, because Paul was a devout Jew um, Saul at the time, and um, he he really thought that he was doing what God had wanted him to do. He was defending his faith against heresy, against false teachings. Um, like any devout Jew, he had grown up um, believing that the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would deliver Israel, and surely the way that Jesus came and died was not the way the Messiah was supposed to be. So Paul was convinced that um, the disciples were spreading false teachings, which is why he persecuted them. And um, it says here that he was going to go to Damascus, um, which means he had probably done most of the persecuting in Jerusalem, had probably put most of the Christians in jail. Um, some had even died for their faith. And the others had scattered all over the regions, and um, so Saul was now making his way to Damascus, um, but with a letter of authorization, right? So he didn't do it out of anger, out of his own accord. He was actually sanctioned by the high priest. They all believed that Paul's mission was the right thing to do. And we're now going to read verses 3 through 9. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and through, though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, and leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. Now, Damascus was, is about 150 miles from Jerusalem, and nowadays, um, if we had a car, we could probably travel it much quicker, but back then it took them about two weeks. Um, the passage makes it clear that they were walking 
Um, how we can tell that is in verse 4, it says, he fell to the ground. Now, if you're in a chariot or on a donkey, it's probably a little bit harder to fall on the ground. So he fell to the ground, and so did the people that were with him. And um, so it would have taken them about two weeks, and by the time... Um, he had this encounter with Jesus. They were already close to Damascus. So they'd probably been traveling for, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 days. I'm not really sure. And um, in um, the, this, this encounter with Jesus is really what turns into Paul's testimony later on. And um, this encounter is mentioned two more times in the book of Acts, and once in Acts chapter 22, and then in Acts chapter 26. And in, in Acts chapter 9, it's a third person. It's, it's Luke, the author, kind of telling the story of Paul's conversion. I'm assuming that um, he heard it from Paul himself or maybe the people that he was with. I'm assuming Paul. But in Acts chapter 22 and 26, it's actually in the first person. It's Paul sharing his encounter um, as part of um, his own trial, they're letting him share his testimony to defend himself as he's being tri tried. And um, um, it's always good to read all three of those chapters then because then you get a whole picture of what really happened. Um, that's what I love about study Bibles because on the side they kind of give you references to other areas or, or in the Bible where, where the scripture is related to. And um, so when we read Acts chapter 22 and 26, we can kind of piece together what happened. Um, for example, it says, um, when he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In Acts tw chapter 26, it actually says that Jesus was speaking to him in the Hebrew dialect. And um, in, in, in Acts ch chapter 22, it says that the people who were with it couldn't understand and so some things were maybe thought that maybe they didn't hear the voice, but no, they heard the voice. They just couldn't understand what Jesus was saying because it was he was speaking in a Hebrew dialect. And um, why that's important is Saul, um, who we know as Paul, um, was very um, well educated. He had studied the law. He knew the Hebrew language. Um, because all the Old Testament prophecies and, and the books of Moses were in, in, that, in that dialect. And so um, I don't know if it was purposeful that Jesus spoke to him in Hebrew, but it was certainly unusual because the languages of the day were Aramaic and Greek. And so for Jesus to speak to him in, in Hebrew is kind of unique. Um, but Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so imagine Paul here, he's zealous, he... Um, he thinks he's doing the right thing. And then he's got this encounter with Jesus um, who's saying, no, you, you, you know, your, your zeal is for the wrong cause. <laughs> you, you know, I'm real. I am the Messiah. And, um, and so he's got this encounter. And um, when it's all done, the, you know, Jesus revealed himself. Um, there was a big light. That's what the others that were with him saw. I think that Paul actually saw Jesus, and that's my guess. Um, it says um, that the people that were with him couldn't see anything. I'm thinking they were probably so stunned and afraid that they were, the light was so bright, they probably lo were looking away or to the ground, kind of covering their faces. But Paul, as he heard this voice saying, Saul, Saul, um, why are you persecuting me? I believe that he looked up and, 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 and he saw Jesus and um, he asked, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
And um, when it was all done, um, you know, they got up. They were probably shocked, stunned. And Paul realized he couldn't see. He, he was blind. And so the people that he were, was with, they led him all the way to Damascus. And you can imagine that the journey probably ended up taking much longer um, than it did before. They were already tired. They'd been traveling for days. Um, they were probably all shocked. Um, I'm, I'm assuming there was silence as they were walking to Damascus. And Paul was now blind, so they had to guide him. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried to stumble through the dark, but it certainly takes me much longer to walk um, through my bedroom when it's dark <laughs> than when the light is on. So um, they had a... Um, long journey ahead, you know, ahead of them. And it says that he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. And I'm trying to imagine what those three days must have been like for Paul. Um, I'm not sure if, if those were the three days when he was already then at a house in Damascus and if he actually had time um, to really think about what happened or maybe even while he was traveling, walking, um, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that he had probably every emotion possibly possible. There was awe, um, there was shock, um, probably regret. Um, you know, I could imagine that all the faces of the people that he had persecuted, that he helped put to death really with his efforts, maybe kept going through his mind, uh, mind maybe he was repenting at that time, saying, oh Lord, what, what have I done? <laughs> um, but either ways, he ha way he had three days where he didn't eat, he didn't drink, and he just um, he, he couldn't see, and so he, he was really thinking about what 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 had happened. Um, we're gonna read verses ten through nineteen, I believe. Let me just check my notes here. Ten through eighteen. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he reg regained his sight, and he got up, and he was baptized. So God was talking to another disciple, um, a, a convert. His name was Ananias. He was also a Jew who had become a, um, a follower of Jesus and um, who lived in Damascus. And he told him to go to where Paul was staying. Um, and um, it says he actually lists the, the address, which I thought was funny. It says, get up and go to the street called Straight. And um, the street called Straight was actually one of the main roads going through Damascus. So it was a popular 
um, wrote, it, it probably had the homes of wealthier people. So we know that the person that Paul was staying, staying with, who was a name, man named Judas, was probably um, someone from, from um, high up in, in the synagogue, um, was um, probably a wealthy person. I assume um, that just because of Paul's reputation, where he came from in Jerusalem, the fact that he had this letter from the high priest in Jerusalem to Damascus, that um, their whole trip was planned, and they knew where they were staying in Damascus. They didn't just arrive and figure it out. They probably had connections. And so it was this person's house that Paul was staying at, and he was blind and confused and, and shocked. And, and here comes Ananias, and um, I think it's amazing that he was also a, a Jew who had converted because he probably either knew the person that Paul was staying with or um, at least um, there was some kind of connection, so they would have easily allowed him into the house where Paul was staying. And um, it says in the scripture that not only did God appear to Ananias, but he also appeared to Saul, and he said, you know, someone is going to come, and you're not going to be blind forever. He's going to lay his hands on you and you'll be able to see and he will tell you what I have in store for you. And um, in, um, in one of the verses, it says, I will show him, it's verse 16, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And um, I'm actually going to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 21 and following, because um, in that letter, Paul talks about all the things he, that he was actually suffering for his faith. Um, it, it says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangerous from my countrymen, dangerous from the Gentiles, dangerous in the city, dangerous in the wilderness, dangerous on the sea, dangerous among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And those are just some of the things that Paul suffered um, when he decided to follow Jesus. And um, I always wonder... Did God tell him that, you know, when he, when he, um, he said to Ananias, I'm going to show you him how much he must suffer. Did he have a choice? Like, you know, he was on the persecutor side. He was the one persecuting. He, he didn't have to suffer. And now God was telling him, you're going to be on the other side. You're going to be persecuted for following me, for, for having faith in me. And yet I believe that Paul's encounter with Jesus was so strong that there was no way he could say no. And, um, you, you know, it, it ended up turning into Paul's testimony, you know, the life he lived before he met Jesus, his encounter with Jesus and how his life changed after he met Jesus. And we all have a personal testimony. Um, when we take pe people on a mission trip, part of the training is that they have to write down their personal testimony. And it doesn't have to be long. In fact, if you've never done it, I encourage you that you would do that. Um, Pastor Ben's been talking a lot about um, evangelism and, you know, talking to our neighbors and, and people that we meet at the store, our hairdresser. And it's always good to 
have written down our own testimony because really your own testimony is what's the most powerful when you share Jesus with others. And a testimony consists of really of three points. The first is, what was your life like before you met Jesus? Now, for some people, it's as extreme as, as the Apostle Paul, um, you know, for some even worse. Um, they're worshiping the wrong people. They're doing evil things. They're really living in sin. Um, and then they meet Jesus and they make a decision to surrender their lives, to follow him. And that's an encounter with Jesus. And then it's how their life is different after. Maybe they um, are freed from addictions. Um, maybe, you know, they've repented of their old ways and are now doing the opposite. And then there are some who have grown up in the church and they don't have such a dramatic testimony, but they still have a testimony um, I remember I, I, I grew up in the church. My mom gave her life to Jesus um, just before she got pregnant with me. She actually got baptized um, while I was in her womb. And um, my dad left when I was two and a half. And um, I remember always knowing Jesus, knowing the Bible stories, the, um, the songs that we sang at Sunday school, um, you know, um, from from the things my mom told me. So I always knew who Jesus was. And when I was, I think I was nine and a half, we went to a family camp, just my mom, my brother and I, and I was part of the children's classes and, um, and they shared Jesus with us, you know, what Jesus had done, who he is. And um, there was a call, um, kind of like an altar call in our group. And um, they gave us a moment of silence. And I remember um, sitting there and hearing Jesus, not in audible voice, but just in my heart, um, Jesus or God telling me, you know, I want to be your father. Will you let me be your father? And what was significant about that is that I didn't have a dad and I'd been praying for a father. And I remember thinking, yes, Jesus, I, I want you to be my father. And I remember surrendering my life to Jesus and this peace came over me. And um, within a year, my mom got remarried and I have an amazing stepdad. But that was my encounter with Jesus. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't on the road to Damascus where I was blinded and, <laughs> and this audible voice yelled at me. But, um, but it was this still moment in my heart where I knew I had a choice to make. And I've been living this way ever since. It hasn't always been easy, um, but I've certainly um, been living that way. But when Paul's testimony, when Jesus, um, when he encountered Jesus and he had this choice to make, um, he knew where his choice was going to lead, and that was going to be suffering, suffering for, for being a follower of Jesus. Um, and I think in where we live, we, we really don't know what that means. When you hear about other parts of the world, there are so many countries where making that decision to follow Jesus can literally cost you your life, and you will be persecuted for your faith and, and for the things that you believe in. Um, a couple of years ago, I went on a, on a medical mission to Cote d'Ivoire, and we were ministering in a couple small villages way out in the boonies, um, no electricity, no running water. And, um, and um, I met this pastor who was kind of traveling with us. He was this young um, Ivorian pastor and kind of in training, and um, his name was Pastor David. And in a couple of those villages, they ended up establishing churches. People came to Christ through our medical mission, and then the local missionaries and the local Foursquare Church followed up. And so they built a church in one village and assigned Pastor David to this village. And so he was ministering 
um, there was a small um, mud hut church with just benches. And um, there was this young man who, who had given his life um, to Jesus or was giving his life to Jesus. Um, and in, in that village or in that country, really, um, the, the, the main religion really is they're animistic. So they believe in all these spirits and they have all these amulets and, and things to kind of keep the bad spirits away, to keep the illnesses away. And, and this man was still really suffering and he had all these, these amulets, um, um, uh, these idol worship things really that he wanted to destroy. And he told Pastor David, he said, I, I, want to burn, I want to burn them to kind of declare that this is no longer my life. And Pastor David asked him, well, are they yours? And he assured him, yes, they're mine. And so they burned them together. And the next day the village found out about it and come to find out they actually belonged to the village. And so Pastor David ended up being um, um, arrested and was thrown in prison. His wife was just pregnant, I believe, with their second child. And um, that was last year. I'm not really sure what has happened, but those things are real. And for Paul, he knew when he made that decision, that was something that he would probably encounter. So we're going to continue. Um, let me find my way here. Um, we're going to read verses 19 through 25. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is it not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And so... Um, here it begins. So when it says um, Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding, um, I think the timeline is that Paul was it, probably, we're talking about three years here where he was, you know, um, he had surrendered his life to Jesus. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized, and he was learning, you know, probably um, from other disciples in, in Damascus. He hadn't met uh, the apostles yet. That happened when he went to Jerusalem. Um, but but he, he kept going into the synagogues and proclaiming, you know, that Jesus was the Messiah and the local Jews were not happy about that. And they really were doing what he had done to the followers of Jesus before they plotted um, to kill him or to do away with him. And um, somehow Saul heard about it um, uh, maybe some loyal friends told him, we're not really sure. Um, but they were so keen on, on having Paul arrested and, you know, silencing him that they were watching the gates day and night because they knew otherwise he could escape. And so it was actually the disciples that took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket um, they were probably, you're thinking, gosh, uh, what basket can be that large? Um, um, they were probably baskets that were used for hay, for big hay barrels. And so they put him in there and they gently lowered him and, and he was able to escape. 
And in verse um, 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. And um, the, the, the journey to Jerusalem, that probably happened about three years after his conversion. There are some other chap, um, chapters in the Bible that suggest that he briefly went to Jerusalem shortly after his conversion, but didn't stay long at all. The Lord warned him that he kind of had to, had to leave. And uh, so he spent some time, I believe, in, um, in Arabia and um, in Damascus, kind of away, um, you know, because he knew going back to Jerusalem would be really dangerous for him because he was now in the opposite camp than when he had left Jerusalem. And so he had about three years um, um, be before he um, took his first longer trip to Jerusalem. And um, verses 27 onwards, it says, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. So the disciples, when they heard that um, Paul was in Jerusalem and he wanted to meet them, they were afraid. <laughs> um, you know, they, they knew the Paul or the Saul um, that had been persecuting the Christians. And um, that was Ananias' reaction as well when God told him, you know, I want you to go visit Saul and pray for him. And, um, and Ananias said, but he, he's the one that persecuted us. They probably all had loved ones that had, had died because of um, Saul and who had been put in prison because of him. And um, so they needed someone like Barnabas who actually believed um, that for whatever reason, I don't know if he knew um, Paul a little bit um, if, or if he, uh, if he had a sense from the Holy Spirit that no, this really is the real deal, but it took Barnabas um, to convince the apostles, the disciples, that Paul's conversion really was real. And uh, we hear about Barnabas for the first time in Acts 4.36. I'm going to read that. Again, we're going back and forth because that's when the whole book makes sense. It says in Acts 4.36, Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the original disciples, but he was a convert, a follower of Jesus. And so he... He was the one that convinced the apostles and said, you know, Paul's conversion is real and he had an encounter with Jesus and he is not the same um, Paul that you or Saul that you knew three years ago. And, um, and it sounds like he convinced them because then it says, and he, which is Paul, was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And so... Um, Moving about freely in Jerusalem means in the beginning he was probably able to go minister with them. You know, they would go out during the day, minister in synagogues, minister to people, and then probably do home church in the evening and then stay um, stay with different people. And, um, and then it says he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. So the Hellenistic Jews um, are, are Jews that took on the Greek language and some of the Greek um, culture. They were still Jews. They followed the law. 
And, um, and he was arguing with them. And I, I, I imagine because Paul was so well educated, that's really how he convinced people that Jesus was the one is, is you know, it, it doesn't say yet that he performed miracles or did any of that, but he was um, arguing because he knew the law, he knew the prophets, he knew what had been promised in the Old Testament. And now he knew Jesus and he heard, had heard from the disciples firsthand um, you know, what Jesus had done, what he had said. And so he was able to argue with them, basically saying, no, this is the fulfillment. Um, and the Jews didn't like that. Um, they, they um, like he did before, they thought it was heresy and it wasn't correct teaching. And they wanted to, to put him to death. But once again, the brethren learned of it and they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Now, Caesarea is a port city, um, north of uh, Jerusalem. Um, I got to go there a few years ago. It's, it's beautiful. It has a beautiful port. And, um, and then they found a ship for him to go to Tarsus, which was up north. And um, Tarsus was actually his hometown. Um, so he probably stayed with people he knew there or with family. And he stayed there for a while. And um, the next verse, verse says, verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. And what I find amazing about that verse is just imagine the influence, how influential Saul was. You know, when he was persecuting the church, it was really his his um, life goal, <laughs> and um, just because God plugged Paul out of that and and put him as a follower of Jesus, um, the persecution really almost stopped, and there was a period of, of 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 immense peace where the Christians were able to move around freely and they were able to witness and 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 um, people people came to Christ um, in that region. And we've got a little bit more time. Let's read verses. 30, let me gather my notes here, um, 32 through 35. So now Paul is out of the picture for now. He's in, um, in Tarsus in his hometown. And um, now we're going to hear a little bit about Peter. Now, Peter, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, I was talking earlier how, how um, Paul kind of um, argued with people or, um, um, to, to tell them that Jesus really was the Christ, and where Peter is kind of doing a different approach um, here. Um, he, he, he prayed for people, he healed the sick, and, um, and it is through that that people came to Christ. And um, I've, I was able to experience that firsthand on, some, um, on a medical mission. I've experienced it in the past as well, but it really is amazing when, um, when you talk to people who have, who have never met Jesus, they've maybe never even heard his name. And um, the way we do it in a, at a medical mission, we fulfill a need that they have, um, which in the, their case is physical. They have ailments, they have hurts, they have pains. 
Um, and we have doctors who, who kind of look at them, diagnose them, maybe we're able to give them a little bit of medication and vitamins. But really what we want to do is pray for them and ask them, you know, where, where are you hurting? Where, where do you have pain? And, um, and they're always very open to letting us pray. And then we pray and then their pain is gone. And it, it, it really is miraculous. I remember the first time I, I laid hands on someone, my mind was going, what, what if nothing happens? What if they don't get healed? Um, but God is so faithful. And every single time we prayed for someone, they would look up in shock and go, oh, my headache is gone or my back pain is gone. Or um, sometimes the miracles were a little bit bigger than that, where somebody's hearing was restored or somebody's sight. Um, but we would pray for them, and then um, I would confirm that they really, you know, that, that pain was gone. And then I would ask them, do you know in whose name I prayed? And, and they said, no. And I said, well, I prayed in the name of Jesus. Would you like to know more about this Jesus? And they always said, yes, I would love to know more. And so we shared a simple gospel message of, you know, God who created us, um, that sin came into the world, separated us from God, that um, Jesus... Um, you know, was the only sacrifice that could um, restore that separation from God. And so we would share that gospel and then we would ask, you know, would you like um, to, to uh, you know, Jesus in your life? And um, more than half of the time people said yes. And it was just astounding. But I really believe there's something about seeing the power of Jesus, experiencing it in your own life. Because once you experience Jesus, you can't deny him. And I think that's why I love being part of a church that believes in the workings of the Holy Spirit. Because when we see the Holy Spirit move in our lives and in the lives of others, and he touches them and, and, and they receive inner healing, physical healing, their lives are changed, that will stay with them and, um, and, and their conversion is real. And so that's what, what Peter was doing as he was traveling. He, he would see someone and he would say, hey, Jesus... Jesus heals you, and other people would see it and go, gosh, this man has been paralyzed for eight years, and here comes Peter and prays for him, this Jesus must be real. And so it says that many, many came to believe. And um, it happened at that time, we're going to read verses 37 through the end, and it happened at that time, oh, oh no, it's 36, I'm sorry, 36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, he brought him into, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing, showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, turning to the body, he sa said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. And so here's another miracle that, that, that God performs through Peter. Um, and Peter had the faith to do it. Um, you know, Tabitha was a well-loved woman. Maybe, I don't know if she was a widow herself, but she was very kind and gave 
to the poor and made garments and and um and when she passed away, they were really distraught because they weren't quite ready. <laughs> they felt they, they still needed her. And um, they had heard of Peter and they sent for him and, and, and he prayed. And once again, a miracle happened and, and um, many, many, pe many people believed. And so um, let's be people of, of prayer that believe that God can, can do miracles. Um, let's pray for people for healing and um, uh, so that they can believe. Let's share our testimony. Remember, you have a testimony. You have a story of what your life was before Jesus, what Jesus did for you, how you encountered him, just like like um, Saul on that, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And, um, and you have a, a story of how God changed your life after that once you encountered him. So let's share that um, with the people that we encounter today and, and over the next month, especially in this time of the holiday season, the hopelessness, the, the fear that people are experiencing. So God, I thank you how you met Paul, Lord. His encounter with you was real and you uh, plugged him out of his old life and, and you gave him a, a purpose in a new life with you, Lord. And I thank you that you have done that for all of us, Lord, as we have surrendered our lives to you, Lord, when we invited you, into our hearts, Lord, you gave us a purpose, you gave us a call. And so I pray that um, as we write our testimony, Lord, as we share it, that we would be amazed at, at what you have done in our lives and that by that amazement and passion that we would be able to share it with others, Lord, that we would be able to lay hands on others and see the, the sick get healed and the lame walk and the blind to see, Lord, um, the, those who are oppressed set free, Lord. Um, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you can do through us. Lord, you can use any, you can use anybody who is willing to surrender, Lord. So we thank you for that. And we bless you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.